Welcome to another episode of the Finance and Property Survival Guide. You're about to listen to Finance and Property News number 32. This is our weekly show where my father and I break down the latest news in finance and property within Australia. My dad has 30 plus years in the finance, uh, financial sectors and is really good at breaking down how the news might affect us and Australia at large. So we hope that any of the topics we cover today, you'll leave with some good information under your belt. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. I wanted to start with a little bit of a definition education, I guess. We'll, we'll talk about this thing called HEM, H-E-M, Household Expenditure Metrics. Then it's okay, just cool. probably yeah. same same thing, just a different is, word. Yeah. So Household mm-hmm. Expenditure Metric or Measure. Um, I wanted yep. to just uh, get you to break down what the term means and how banks will use it and why it's, it's important for people looking to get a home loan to, to sort of get their head around it. Yeah, cool. Okay, so the household expenditure measure, I think, is put out by the Melbourne Institute or Melbourne University or something, and it's the it's basically what it would cost a normal household to live in a certain area. So whether that's um, inner Sydney, inner city Sydney, regional Tasmania, um, yeah, out the back of Warp Warp. And so what are the it, so so, so depending so what on it the is, suburb, it's different. Uh, depending upon the area. Okay. So, you know, Richmond's, you know, similar to Brunswick. Um, you know, Bell Reeve in Tasmania, similar to uh, North Hobart. Right. Yeah. Marumba Downs in Queensland, similar to Milton. Yeah, those, those sorts of things. So, um, you know, Newcastle's similar to the Central Coast or okay. Tari or those sorts right, of things. Right, right, right. So what they do, what they do is um, the banks use it as a guide um, so if you say you're a couple with two kids, you know, it includes things like childcare, education, you know, food for that number of people, you know, transport for people who've got one to two cars, not just transport, but things like registration, servicing, those sorts of things. Right. Um, you know, reckon entertainment, how much you'd spend on clothing, you know, kids sport, you know, what you spend on rates for your house if you if you're buying a, a house or an investment property. Um, you know, how much you spend on going out, insurance, medical and health, you know, going to the doctor, health insurance, those sorts of things. So the bank will have, you know, the banks use the household expenditure measure, so, or most banks do. So, so for example, your, we've talked before about how banks look at your net monthly uncommitted income. So if you're a couple, they'll look at how much net income you have after, you know, you might salary sacrifice a super or you might salary sacrifice a car or, or that sort of thing. So what's your net income? If you're an investor, what net income, you know, what income are you getting from rent or that sort of thing or dividends or you know, um, interest or that sort of thing? And then they take off your living expenses. Now, most people underestimate their living expenses because they sort of forget all the things that they have to pay for, you know. When yeah. people estimate transport, they go, oh, I'll put 50 bucks worth of petrol in a week, so that's 200 bucks a month. Mm. But then we go, okay, but you've got to register the car, so that's probably, you know, that might be $600 a year, so that's $50 a month. You service the car twice a year. Yep. It's a bit inside a baseball, but so just say you spend $1,000 to register your car and register, like get a new license. And yep. that's obviously yep. a once a year, maybe once every three years purchase, depending on what it is. Um, yep. You would want to 
uh, include that in your yearly expenses down, like you would probably want to include that in like the monthly expenses and break it up. Is that something you'd include yes. if you were going yeah. to a bank? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so if you get your car, re- if you get your car service once a year and it's say 600 bucks, just right. it's easy to work out, it's $50 a month. So what, okay. so what the, the banks have a figure in mind on what people should be spending now, most brokers or brokers and most banks will ask you for an estimate of your living expenses. Um, what we will do is we'll ask you for an estimate, then we'll get your three months bank statements through a, a program called bankstatements.com and it will tell us where you spend your money. So we'll work with you to get your expenses down if we can. But if your estimate, if you estimate your living expenses at below the household expenditure measure, the bank will ask for um, justification. They might ask for bank statements um, to have a look at where you spend your money. So it's just a, a it's sort of like a, a benchmark that that banks use and brokers use. It's a good. It's actually. It's not a. It's not a bad thing to do when we're doing a quick borrowing capacity assessment for people. Okay. If someone says, you know, I earn hundred grand a year, you know, roughly what can I borrow? We can do a quick calculation. But um, yeah, that's how that's how it works. It gets updated every six months, and yeah, most banks servicing calculators. You know, if you type into the into the Google, you know, Macquarie Bank servicing or borrowing capacity or ComBank. Um, borrowing capacity it'll it'll normally have that input in there okay and one of that another term that i just want to double check because i haven't heard this term before your net uncommitted income yeah so right so it's basically sorry go ahead yep no you go you go so it's basically the banks assessing that as being the figure that you end up with once it's all the the money you have to to spend when you've allotted like you've minus all of your expenses for that like you know that pay yeah exactly yeah so if you've got a personal loan if you've got a personal loan that's a commitment if you've got a credit card 3.8 percent of your um credit limit is seen as a monthly commitment Mm. so banks will look at net monthly income yeah a lot of people think um, they'll go onto one of the bank calculators and they'll put in a figure and then it'll tell them how much they can borrow. And they go, wow, that's not enough. So they go, oh, I'll reduce my living expenses 500 bucks a week and go, voila, I can now afford a loan. Then they'll go to the bank or broker and say, oh, the, the, borrowing, the bank calculator said I could, I could borrow X, but it might be based on a really low living expenses figure. Because people go, well, I only go, the, I, I do the groceries once a week and I spend 100 bucks. So okay, that's four hundred and twenty-five a month. What about what about takeaway? What about lunches you buy? What about just you know popping down the shop and twenty bucks later you come home with with stuff? You know what about all those times? And it's it's a it's a lot harder now to um, lie on your not lie or be unaware of what your living expenses are because everything's recorded through yeah. tap payments. Yeah, and it's plus it's you can we uh, we're going to do a podcast coming out. Uh, we've already recorded it. We've just got to release it about money saving, like ways to save yeah. your money, and that's something we touch on in that too. Is about um, it's so easy to understand what you pay for in a week, 
because uh, you can yeah. get it on your phone. Like you can just scroll up and down and look at everything on your phone and get a good record of it. So of course, a bank you're applying for a loan for can do the same thing because they want to make sure that you're a good, you're a, they're trying to assess risk when it comes to giving people money, right? Yeah, and it's also the banks have. Banks um, have a responsible lending obligation. So they also, through comprehensive credit reporting, probably have access to all your bank accounts anyway. So if there's, um, if there's things in there um, that are a bit weird, you might get asked about them. So yeah. what we do, what we do with our clients, we go through, through bank statements and credit cards for the last couple of months. And if there's weird stuff, we ask about it and we tell the bank that the weird stuff's there and what it is. And then we and we say that yeah, it might be um, they might have paid cash for a car, so it might be ten grand cash paid for a car. So we just say it was ten grand paid cash for a car. Um, it's you know they buy a car once every five years, so we're not including that. Okay, right. But if they're yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, another one we we're going to chat about. So this is one of the first news stories we we're going to cover. Um, the ComBank. So Commonwealth Bank of Australia have come out with a little bit of a report, basically thinking that uh, Australia is already back in a recession, especially as lockdowns are continuing across New South Wales and Victoria. I haven't yeah. been up to date with the news, but it sounds like uh, Canberra's got something going on as well. You're right. So um, yeah, yeah, I haven't heard either about okay, Canberra. Yeah. Okay. So um, that being said, ComBank have lowered its expectations for national output in the three months through till September predicting the thing another term people throw around that makes makes you sound smart it's called gdp gross domestic product it's basically the gross output of the economy is the way i've had it explained um they're predicting that the gdp is going to fall 4.5 percent from the last quarter uh retail sales have fallen nationally by 2.7 in july 2.7 percent in july and the, mm -hmm. the sales retail has fallen eight to nine percent in new south wales um, which is the largest drop by any state since August of 2020. And obviously, um, we've sort of talked about this before, but Sydney uh, accounts for a pretty high percentage of our economy. So when Sydney yep. sort of falls to the wayside and has some uh, economic impact like a lockdown, we all sort of feel it is the way I've had it explained. Yeah. So I just wondered what your thoughts yeah. are on this one. Yeah, look, I think... You know, I'm, you know, we don't have access to the data that ComBank has. Um, you know, they'd be seeing it through transactions and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. But just, you know, I went and got it, um, the van registered during the week. And, um, you know, normally the, um, the mechanic has a list of about 20 vehicles in the shop that day. And when he was looking through his book, there was about five or six. Yeah. Um, I think this time... Yeah, I think ComBank's probably right. Um, the interesting thing will be what impact it has on the property market because last time, um, yeah, the market sort of uh, tapered a little bit when we're in the last lockdowns and then it sort of exploded when we came out of it. So I think that's probably more of um, sort of relevance for a lot of people is what's going to happen um, yeah, once we come out. And um, yeah, a lot of the experts are tipping that there's going to be a lot more stock on the market um, that there's a lot of people who might who are probably thinking that the market might have reached its peak, and um, you know the core logic home value uh, report that came out earlier this week 
showed that the monthly increase in property prices, which is still pretty good mm. in historical terms, was the lowest since January. So I think there'll be a lot of, you know, the sort of expectation is that there'll be quite a few extra listings coming on the market. Um, but, you know, if there's also a lot of extra buyers out there, it, it just might push prices up. So, yeah, but I think, you know, the ComBank, they've got pretty smart economists, so they're probably right. Another one uh, we're going to cover. So John McGrath is a guy that we we get in the news quite often. He has an, uh, a weekly or uh, bi-weekly. Is that when it happens twice a week? Bi-weekly? Oh, he's got a, he, got a, news, his, a newsletter called, I think it's called a Real Estate Conversation, and he's quite yeah. a regular contributor yeah. to it. So he's usually yeah. in it once or twice a week. Yeah. So but like he's, he, got... he's, he's been around for a long time and, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So he, he listed... Uh, sort of five unique factors that have led to such high rental price increases across the country. Um, another really good person to listen to who talks a lot about this is Simon Presley at Propertyology. Um, yeah. Big fan of his stuff. He writes some really cool uh, opinion pieces about what's going on, uh, but he backs yeah. it with statistics. Obviously he's a pretty good for that. So um, some of the factors that John McGrath has listed for how uh, rentals have picked up. So, Rental moratoriums in 2020 resulted in a lot, uh, a lot lower turnover of people in their rentals. So they made sure that anyone that couldn't make rental repayments for a lot of 2020 uh, didn't have to be scared of being kicked out of their rentals as a result. But once this, uh, once those moratoriums ended, a lot of landlords could lift their rents significantly mm -hmm. to one, either make up the loss or because of how much their properties had gone up in value, they're able to charge a higher rent. Um, yeah. internal migration happened a lot more, uh, as a result of COVID, a lot more people were moving out of cities into regional areas, working from home became a more popular uh, factor. Investors were sort of trying to get, uh, leverage the, the markets and try and make a better profit. So, um, in June, one in four homes that were sold were ex rental properties, yeah. uh, in WA and Queensland, there was new mining activity as well which drove up rental demand, but it also meant that any towns or cities around the mining towns that had transport links to FIFO sites also benefited. And another part of the mining, uh, an off, I guess, a factor from mining, right? So WA's hard border in 2020 meant that a lot of new mining workers and existing FIFO workers who live on the East Coast, which is not uncommon, right? East Coast yeah. people will fly over and we, we know a few of them who will, will yeah. fly over to WA to work for a couple of weeks and then come back for a couple of weeks. They were either uh, had to relocate to WA permanently because it was going to be too hard to travel back and forth or new, new jobs popped up in those areas for WA workers. So there's a couple of interesting uh, factors there that can sort of explain what's been going on with the rental demand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I think I think the, the interesting stat that um, was in that article was that one in four places sold in June were ex-rentals. So, yeah, that's quite a lot of rental stock being taken out of the market. So when you've got demand for, for property, because, you know, we sort of know that the... Um, with, with the borders closing and a lot of migrants um, returning back to their countries of origin, um, that sort of freed up a lot of um, rental stock around sort of Sydney and you know, within five to 10 Ks of Sydney and Melbourne. But yeah, you know, a lot of other places, you know, 
a lot of the people who may have been traveling overseas at the time, yeah, the, the million a month, the million people a month that used to travel overseas who are now not need somewhere to live. Um, so yeah, but yeah, that it doesn't surprise me with all that happening. And um, yeah, as Simon Presley said, um, yeah, rents, I think he's predicted in Brisbane, rents might go up about a hundred dollars a week on average. So it's certainly a good time to be thinking about you know investing if you're if you're a first home buyer who can't get into the market, you know, being a rent vester is probably not a bad option at the moment because you can you know, buy a place that's almost guaranteed to have um, no vacancy rates in, in most sure. places. Yeah, for sure. So Westpac, <laughs> Westpac, Westpac is due to close six branches, including pulling out of Hamilton Island. So they've got three branches they're closing in WA, two in Queensland and one happening in South Australia. And obviously, um, the Westpac spokesperson said that these closures are a result are a result of uh, lack of foot traffic to the branch models, as more customers are choosing to go online to conduct their banking. And the the stat I was going to talk about real quick wasn't a Westpac stat; it was a NAB stat. But it was, I, I think, yep. it was ninety five to ninety six percent of all banking transactions were occurring online from their customers yeah so mm -hmm. the the demand for branches has just not been there and it's changing a lot so um as a result westpac are closing a bunch of their stuff so i was you were going to say yeah. something about this one yeah and, and look the, the the trend has been it has been there for a while and i think yeah the, a lot of the big banks who have lots of money tied up in branch networks um yeah, probably see this as an opportunity that um, it's sort of like become self-fulfilling because because people are locked down, they have to do more things online and are going to the branches less. So then the bank can say, well, look, people are going to the branches less and they're doing things electronically, so we don't need the branches. So, um, yeah, they've got a lot of money tied up in branches. Um, you know, you've got the, the rent cost and insurance and you know, rates on the building and, you know, car parking and that sort of stuff. And they're not open for very long. Most bank branches are open from 9.30 to 4. So it, they're not, it's not, it's not a very um, with it sort of model at the moment. You know, a lot of people do their banking at night. Um, you know, they don't, they don't have time to go to the bank during the day. Some of them don't want to go to the bank because you've got to check in, you got to wear a mask. Um, you know, if while you're at the bank for half, bank for 20 minutes, someone comes in who ends up being a close or casual contact, you've got to isolate. It's just, yeah, so I think um, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of this. Um, one of the, one of the um, things I was going to mention was um, the MFAA, which is one of the broking industry associations, released some stats during the week about the record numbers of loans that brokers are doing. And I think yeah. you'll see, you know, people are preferring to deal with brokers for home loans. Um, and I think, you know, one, yeah, for for our customers, if they have issues with the bank, once they're a customer of ours, we look after it for them. You know, we sort it out for them. So there's less need for people. You know, the more people that go to the brokers, the more the less need there is for a bank branch. So I think if I was in charge of the banks. Um, or one of the big banks, and I was looking for, uh, yeah, say two years ago, if if we were in 2019 before the pandemic, whenever banks said they were going to shut branches, um, there was a public outcry. 
You know, I remember in Newcastle a couple of years ago, they sh Newcastle Perm shut their branch at Lambton, and you know it was almost like um, like that people went off like a pork chop. Now, now branch now banks um, um, say they're going to shut branches, and it, you know don't even raise an eyelid except for the um, except for the union um, going on. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, last one I had for you was. Uh, so a report from the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation explored developer yep. contributions. So basically, uh, wherever developers want to commence construction in wherever state, uh, councils or state governments will charge developers to get going. So the paper compared developer contributions across states, finding the usual charge accounts for about 8 to 11% of total home construction costs, but the cost does mm -hmm. change state to state. And there's not really a rule of thumb of how much they'll be charged. I think it really depends on the scope and the scale of the development they want to do. But for New South Wales, they figured that the, the average cost was between twenty five dollars and $85,000 per dwelling. Victoria mm -hmm. was thirty-seven to $77,000, and Queensland had a, a much smaller range of costs yeah. from the, for councils and stuff, which was twenty-nine dollars to $42,000. I, mm -hmm. I don't really know what to make of this, but I wanted to include it in case there was something you had thoughts about or if you could explain it better as to why this is yeah. such a, a weird ranging cost and what it means. Yeah, I think, like, you know, we, as people know, we have state governments and they largely look after, you know, planning of new housing and, and that sort of stuff, you know. So, and they have different costs and, you know, they might up the costs where they're trying to, you know, where they don't want development to happen and reduce the costs where they do want development to happen, mm. you know. So, mm. um and that's the, always the an funny, objective decision process, decision making process. Oh, allegedly. But look, I think the 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 I think the funny thing about a lot of this stuff is, um, I think there's a part. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's a parliamentary inquiry into the cost of housing, um, and you know the the biggest issue with the cost of housing is. Well, one of the biggest issues is how long it takes to get housing approved, and how much um, tax and um, developer contributions and all that sort of stuff is in the cost of housing. Like, I remember I read a stat a while back where, you know, for the average new home, about 45% of the cost is taxed. So, yeah, if you if you want more, if you want to relieve the housing pressure, um, if we keep just doing the same things, we'll end up with, a, you know, end up with the same result, which is a bit odd. But so I, I think you'll, you'll see that, um, yeah, the... Because it's state government run, um, yeah. If if they want to get more contributions, they can. If they want to get less contributions, because they want growth to occur in certain areas, well, they can do that as well. Um, what did you want to cover before we got out of here for this one? Yep, yep. So a couple of things that just came up during the week that I thought um, were interesting. Um, we've talked about the first home loan five percent deposit scheme. And there's a couple of different schemes. The two main ones are the one where you want to buy an existing property, uh, and the other one is where you want to buy a new property. Now, if you want to buy, if you want to build a new property and you're a first home buyer, generally there are spots available on that scheme most of the time because less people build than they do buy existing properties. Um, for the new home, for the existing property, so you're buying a place that already exists. 
the, the new spots became available on the 1st of July and most banks have now got a waiting list. So it's, it's just shown how popular, again, that scheme is. Um, my advice for people, if you're looking for a spot on that scheme is make sure you go to a broker because the bank you bank with may not be able to offer a spot on that scheme. And there's no best interest duty obligation on that bank to tell you that they can't. So just sort of keep that in mind. Um, I mentioned the core logic home value index, you know, prices continue to rise. ANZ have forecast 21% growth in property prices this year and for it continue to continue into next year. So I know a lot of people at various times say, oh, I'm not going to buy because prices might go up. Um, I'm not going to buy because prices might go down. Um, you know, they always say the best time to buy a property was either 10 years ago or today. Mm -hmm. um, if, you're, if you're looking to buy, you know, we've talked about, and you did that um, podcast with Goose, you don't need the property. Your first property does not need to be the place you live in. So there's plenty of experts who, who say that buying invest, living, renting where you want to live and buying investment properties is the best way financially anyway. So just, just sort of keep that in mind. Um, the last one, um, actually, two, there was probably two. One was a, an article that came out from Simon Presley, and it was in regard to the top um, growth areas in the country over the last five years and how a lot of those areas were not your sort of mainstream places. So they were places like Orange in New South Wales, um, you know, Ballarat, those sorts of places. So if you're looking for capital growth um, as well as yield for your investment, um, there's still plenty of affordable places around the country where you can, um, you know, where you can invest. So just keep that in mind. If people wanted to get in touch with us, how would they do that, David? Facebook, Money Saver Home Loans. Um, website, moneysaverhomeloans.com.au. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. If you've got any questions, yeah, contact us at any time or SMS or email. Um, and, yeah, we'll help you out. Or if we can't, put you in contact with some, uh, someone that will. Yeah, quite, not quite often, but, you know, a few, on a few occasions, we haven't been able to help people. Um, but we do have sort of people in finance or property or other areas of the, the industry who um, yeah, have access to products that can help you. For so sure. um, if we can't yeah. help you, we'll help. We'll, we'll try and point you in the right direction of someone that's better equipped for sure. Yeah. The Instagram pages you you can follow if you want to is money saver home loans, all one word, lowercase on Instagram. And F and P survival guide on Instagram is the the podcasts. Obviously, a bit more informational stuff goes on the the broker page, but uh, both of them are pretty helpful in keeping up to date with what we've got going on. So, if you want to do that, uh, feel free to. And uh, that's it. We'll get out of here on that. Yep. Cool. Okay. Um, have a great week, and we'll chat to everyone when we chat to you. Easy. <laughs>